morning. morning. On your notes, if you want to get those out in a pen, we'll jump into this real quick. Um, There are some statements in life that bother me. Jumbo shrimp. (laughs) I get it. There's different sizes, but it's sort of an oxymoron. All shrimp are little in some way, yes or no. How about this one? Driving uh, to church last week, big sign uh, in front of a construction site that said, clean dirt. A couple of you get that one. Some are like, what are you sayings that bug me? Two signs this week that um, said the exact same thing, and they just struck me in a funny way. Um, Four months ago, almost to the day, uh, I had a heart attack, and doing tremendously better, feel better than I've probably felt in 20 years uh, between the medicine, the exercise, and paying attention to things that I didn't pay attention to. Um, One of the things that's become really important to me is working out. I live in Highlands Ranch, and part of living there is you pay for rec centers. So you have like built-in health clubs that you go to, but a lot of people go to them. They can be really busy at the times I go. So I've been looking for a place maybe I could work out that um, maybe a 24-hour one that would let me go at different off times and uh, would work a little bit better for my schedule. So I walked into one. Uh, There's a family that goes to our church, a guy that works there. And he invited me to come over and check out the health club. Uh, he doesn't own it, so I'm not insulting him. But I walked inside and they had a great big banner, and it said, New Year, New You. Yep. No. That's an oxymoron, too. <laughs> uh, saw the same banner in the mall, almost within 24 hours, in a closed store that said the same thing, New Year, New You. So my question is simply is this, um, what is it about a new year that makes a new you? So you want to know the truth? Uh, new Year, same you. I don't mean that ugly. And for some of us, that's good news. For some of us, it's bad news. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, there's no special power on January 1st. Do you agree? Just like there's no special power on uh, January 22nd. I mean, it's a day. And a lot of times, people tend to convince themselves through a slogan, something's going to change. In a way, maybe one of the worst slogans ever, in a way that people lie to themselves is the idea, new year, new me, everything's finally going to change because when I hit this date, I don't have to do anything. The date alone is going to give me a whole new start. <laughs> the truth of the matter is it just simply doesn't work that way. There are slogans. New year, not new you. New year, same you. Our series is called Detox. It's about change. Not change that we lie to ourselves about like when it's January 1st or December 25th or July 4th. Or whatever your birthday is, everything's going to change. We're talking about how to see real change happen in your life. What does the Bible say about that? How does God do that in our lives? And so this weekend, we're talking about detox your brain. How many of you need a new brain? I saw a guy last night elbow his wife really hard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Things I see from the pulpit that people don't think I see. <laughs> and I saw her start laughing. And I could only imagine driving over here this morning. I thought about the look on his face and the look on her face, and I tried to imagine the conversation. I bet the conversation was something like, I've been praying that God would give me a new brain. And her husband's like, God heard your prayer. Listen to what the man has to say right now. The way you think controls the way you see life. The way you think, um, whether you know it or not, is... um, allowing your life to go in a particular direction. Uh, Joyce Meyer, I think she's a great teacher, wrote a book called The Battlefield of the Mind, and this is her statement. She said, the battle for your life takes place right here 
in the six inches between your temples. The battle for your life is not out there. The battle for your life is not what someone else does or doesn't do for you. Those things can hurt you and they can affect you, but ultimately the battle for your life takes place right here inside of your head. Whoever controls this controls you. And the Bible has a lot to say about that issue right there. God in particular gives us promises concerning our mind and the renewing of our mind. I think one of my favorite things to teach on is the renewing of the mind because I know the power in it for me. I know what it's done in my life. And rather than be a victim of things that happened to me in the past that I couldn't control, here's the promise of the gospel, and I'll hit it in a second. The power that God has for us is this. It doesn't change our past. The power of the gospel can alter our futures. So God can't come in and erase what happened to you, but he can redirect where your life would have gone because of what happened to you. Does that make sense? He can take you in the place, the direction, but it it requires... um, Maybe this is the best way to say it. Uh, Any harvest requires cooperation. While God wants something to happen in your life, it's not just, hey, I'm sitting here, and if you want it to happen, you know where I go to church. God wants you to partner with him in the harvest. Does that make sense? You have a responsibility, a place that you operate from. Romans chapter 12 is, uh, in my mind, um, it's probably the foremost scripture on the promise of, um, of a renewed mind and what it does for you. Yeah. Uh, the New Living Translation uses um, just modern language. It's a really faithful translation using the vernacular that we would speak in. And so Romans 12, 2 from the New Living Translation, detox your brain, reads this way. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. How easy is it to actually do that? Most people, listen, are very much born originals, but they end up dying copies of everybody else that they live with. We're all born originals. Most of us die copies because we're so anxious to not be what God's called us to be. We want to fit in. We want to blend in. So we just copy. And here Paul is calling it out. This is not some American issue or 2017 issue. It is a people issue. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. And then this is the powerful part. Let God. Say that with me. Let God. It doesn't say, you do this. And this is important. Because much of what's taught about the mind is self-help. It's psychology. And psychology has a good place. I have three full-time counselors on staff. I know the benefit of good counsel. I believe in it. In fact, I'm going to encourage you with something here in a few minutes, so don't get the wrong idea. But the problem is, a lot of people, when it comes to the idea of dealing with the brain, use just physical principles like you need to believe, you need to speak, you need to just simply meditate. That doesn't ultimate. It's the same principle, new year, new you. No, new year, same you, unless God gets involved in the situation. So don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by, here's how he transforms us, by changing the way you what? Detox your brain. Here's the benefit of it. If you learn to think the way that God has for you, if you let him transform you, the benefit of it is you will learn to know God's will for your life And then Paul spells out, here's God's will. God's will for your life is good, pleasing, and perfect. 
And I've said this before. I don't mean it ugly, but just listen to me. Any person who believes God's will is anything other than those three things needs their mind renewed. If you believe that God is punishing you, rejecting you, uh, doesn't have good things for you, then this is why this scripture is important right here. You need your mind renewed more than anything so that you think the right way about God. All right, so I'm going to take you in three things. Look, let me just say this. No, no way in the world, first of all, the series isn't on the mind. We're talking about detoxing particular areas of your life. Uh, one of them, I hope I get the chance to get. I want to talk about detox your finances because that affects people in such a powerful way, yes or no? And I don't know if I'm even going to get time. So this, this message, this series is not about the mind, so this is not exhaustive. I'm not spending week after week talking about renewing your mind. I've got three things that I'm going to talk about today, and then I move on next week to something else. So again, these things you might be like, that, that just seems so incomplete. It is. I apologize. It'll have to come back around at another time for me to do a series on the mind or renewing the mind. But I felt like... It's such an important issue when a person is like, man, I want things to change. I want to be the best version of me that I can be. Okay, when you want that, then some of the areas, I'm trying to hit the big ones. One of them is your brain. So let me just give you three things here. On detox your brain, um, allowing God to transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So let let me give you the three uh, I think really important ones to grasp when it comes to this. The first one, if you've got a pen, uh, the truth about the pursuit of happiness. The truth about the pursuit of happiness. There was a movie out several years ago. Will Smith was in it called The Pursuit of Happiness. If you saw the movie, it was a great movie. Uh, about a single dad um, just raising his kid and trying to, uh, to get ahead in life and True to life story, and I'm sure Hollywood glorified it a little bit and took some liberties, but ultimately it's a feel good story. The guy succeeds and he does well for his family, and it's really neat. Our country is built on uh, one of those principles that we all have the right to pursue happiness. But the question is, what is happiness ultimately, and does the world have it right anyway? And so there's so much out there about happiness right now and what makes us happy and how we're happy. And, you know, it's, let me just talk about happiness for a second. As I've begun to teach on this um, as a senior pastor over the last almost 20 years, a lot of research has been written on happiness. And I think some of the research really got it right. A uh, really smart lady taught this. And when I saw it, I thought about it, and I, I, I put it in my experiences as a, as a pastor in dealing with people. I mean, my, you know, the primary thing that I do is work with people. Right? I, I, this is what I do. So I'm not a professor in a classroom. I, I work with people. Long term, by the way, too. People don't come here and graduate in three or four years and off they go. <laughs> it's like going to school forever with somebody, you know, and you watch them grow up and they have kids and get brain damage. And that's why you teach these things right here. Sorry, sorry. So, just in my study, I'm constantly, constantly studying this issue because it's in dealing with people. Happiness is such a big issue. So let me just talk about the truth, about the pursuit of happiness. Uh, I saw this. I thought I would throw it out to you. Um, in understanding happiness, let, let me give you three things 
that are really important. Uh, first of all, the research has shown 40% of happiness right off the bat, 40%, which is a big chunk. 40% of happiness is fixed. F-I-X-E-D, meaning this, that all of us are born with a particular level. It's just the way that we think, the way that we see, uh, the way that we kind of go through life. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I married um, one of the happiest people, naturally, that you could ever marry. Uh, she would be called uh, an extrovert. She, uh, the old proverb of this, the glass half empty or half full. Uh, for my wife, the glass is always overflowing. She is naturally an upbeat person. She doesn't ever struggle with depression. In her relationship with God, she honestly believes that she is God's favorite above everybody else. When she prays, she prays from that place. When she deals with our children, she deals with them from that upbeat place. I'm not sure that in, in our uh, almost 34-year marriage, I can think literally of less than a handful of days where I could ever say that my wife was depressed. And, and if, if she was, it didn't last very long. She knows how to talk herself out of that. It's the difference between us. I talk myself into that. I would, I would call myself an introvert. The people mistake what I do right here for how I am out there. And I've been trying, by the way, just so that you know this. When I'm done with the services, I've been putting myself out there in that foyer so that I can reach out, meet new people, and talk to I know how important it is, but watch me because sweat is pouring off of me. While I do that, up here, I don't know what it is. Maybe there's just, it's a many of you, it's not one-on-one, and I feel a safety. One-on-one, yeah. -on -one, it stresses me terribly. I don't know, I'm just, Chris is like the bright shining star, and I want to be like a piece of dust in the corner that nobody sees. And we're just naturally that way. It's not a mistake. It's not a mess up. It's a 40%, I would say, a preset of how we are naturally. Does this make, do you recognize yourself in anything that I'm saying right now? Yes. It's just a preset of our habit. She is a naturally happy person. I think I'm a naturally melancholy person. While she can talk herself quickly out of being down, I have to talk myself in trying to get up. We wake up that way. She sees the world as full of possibilities. I see it probably going to hell if I don't interfere with it. <laughs> that makes sense? So hear me on this issue. 40% of happiness is fixed. You could call it genetically predisposed. You could call it the product of a fallen world. You could say simply that's just personalities. I don't care how you say it. The truth of the matter is this becomes important for this reason. 40% of your happiness is not chosen. It's just the way that it is. And if that's true, here's the other side of it. 40% of depression isn't chosen either. People deal with it. And I think the one thing that we do bad in church, if a person breaks their leg, we don't tell them, stay home and pray about it more. We say, get to a doctor, yes or no. I have three counselors on my staff because I have a lot of people I know get stuck at places in life. And rather than tell them, you just need to have more faith or you just need to pray about it more, or you just need to suck it up. Quit acting that. Choose to let those things go. They can't just choose it sometimes. 
And so they need help to get unstuck. So a lot of the counseling, listen to this, a lot of the counseling we do, probably the majority of it, has to do with the past, not the future. Think about that for a moment. People that get stuck, and I'll touch that in just a second. And a person that gets stuck like that, we wouldn't tell them, stay home, suck it up, and pray more. We'd say, get help, and we'd be proud of them if they did, yes or no. But a person who struggles emotionally with a subject like depression, here's what we tell them. Uh, This is something that you're choosing. You're just being negative. You need to knock it off. You need to suck it up. You need to quit acting that way. And let me me give you something. You need to hear it from me. Um, um, And even last night when I said this, people still misinterpreted it and came up to me um, to give me help. One of my children deals with anxiety in a terrible way. It's not a chosen issue. They don't work themselves up into it. Um, It's something that um, when it first began to happen, we prayed like crazy. I rebuked the devil like crazy. We tried diets. All this. Finally, here's what we did. We found a doctor who diagnosed it and gave him medication, and it helped him tremendously. And here's what I think. Like a person who breaks their leg, we'd say, go to the doctor and get it fixed. Like a person who was struggling with an issue from their past, we'd say, find a counselor and get help. The person who struggles with an anxiety disorder or something emotional, you are smart to use the help that God gives in many different ways. And you can tell the person that tells you not to do that that your pastor said it was okay. Now, some of you will sit here and what you'll hear is, oh, that's that psychology, blah, 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 whatever. But for some of you in the room that are struggling with it, that need help with it, I hope I help you right now. And still when I was done last night, I had someone beeline for me and tell me, Pastor, if your son would eat this, he wouldn't struggle with these things right there. I am sick of hearing that crap. So don't tell me that anymore. Walk where I walk and then you can tell me. I love God. I serve God. I've given my life to God. I believe in healing. We've experienced healing. And yet sometimes we live in the product of a fallen world. And God can use doctors and psychologists and books and pastors (laughs) to bring healing into our life. Do you agree? 40% of happiness is fixed. Some of us just genetically were predisposed. Um... Let me show you this one. 10% of happiness is life events. Now, just bear with me right here. This, this, let's have a little fun. 10% of your happiness is based on life events. But most of us spend 90% of our time. If only 10% comes from a life event, here's the truth. Most of us spend 90% trying to have a life event because we think a particular life event is what's going to make us happy. So if I were to take a mic right now and put it in front of your face and tell me, tell me the one thing that will make you happy, most of you would name a life event. For instance, if you're single, here's what you probably think. If I could just get married, I'd be happy. You want to know the truth? Marriage gives you about a two-year happy bump. <laughs> Listen to me on this. Listen to me. Now, I'm not saying you only have two years to be happy. And after that, Sorry. Now you have 40 years of misery. Too bad for you. No. Two years, you get about a two-year. The event can give you a two-year bump. 
But if you want to be happy long term, you can't rely on the event or the day that it happened. Right. You have to do things to make it happy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Or no, no, here's what's funny. 10% comes from a life event. And so people are really funny. If you're not married, you want to get married. People that are married and they're not in a happy marriage, guess what they want? To not be married. If this would happen, I would be happy. Uh, here's one. If the Cowboys had beaten the Packers last weekend, Marcus would be very happy right now. He's my son-in-law. I just have to poke at him there. Some think if I made more money. So we all know that one. And so what we'll do is we'll spend our entire life trying to chase more money. And here's what we never put together, that even if you make more money, you get a bump from it for a little while, but it just becomes the new level of happy. You have to get more than that now to be more happy. Yes or no? And we'll chase this. We can spend 50 or 60 years chasing a life event, believing if I finally had this happen to me, I'm going to be happy. And it's self-deceiving because 10% of your happiness really comes from that. This is this journal I keep. I just wrote some of my thoughts down on it. Uh, some people believe uh, if I could move, I'd be happy. And then some people that move wish they could go back to where they came from to be happy. And some people think if I got a new job, I'd be happy. Some people wish they could go back to the job that they left to be happy. Some people wish they had kids. I know if I had kids, I'd really be happy. And then the people that have kids, guess what they say? <laughs> it's okay to laugh. I just, you know. <laughs> we spend most of our lives chasing the 10%, and here's the truth. The event is only temporary. That's why that banner, New Year, New You, is so deceiving. People think a date or an event is what's going to make me happy or give me a new life. And it can give you a bump, but it won't provide long-term happiness. All right, here's the good news. 40% of happiness is fixed. 10% of happiness, life events, positive or negative. Maybe I should hit the negative real quick. I don't want to run out of time. So a life event. I talked about people thinking a life event and a positive. Some people will think, if this life event hadn't happened to me, I'd be happy. And let, and let me hit this. Let me, let me, so let's say that a person was molested as a child, and here's what they'll say. If that hadn't happened to me when I was a child, I would be a happy person. But here's what the research shows. While those things can affect us in a profound way, the event is not the life-defining issue. It's what you do after the event that chooses whether or not you're a happy person. This is why some people, you can have two people that have the exact same thing happen to them. One goes down and one goes up because it's what happens after the event, it's what God can do inside of you if you let him yep. that can make the difference. That's why, listen to my statement again. The power of the gospel is not that it changes your past. Sir, it changes your future. Ma'am, your future can change. That's the power. That's the promise. That's the reality of the gospel. So a person thinks life events, it equals 10% of your happiness, positive or negative. It's what happens Afterwards, all right, here's the good news. It leaves us 50%, 50% of happiness then. And this is something you can do something about. 50% of happiness is intentional activity. Yep. 
Uh, let's call it this word, nasty word, habit. A spiritual habit. 50% of your happiness is based on intentional activity. What you choose to do. I'm not talking about being self-disciplined. Self-discipline is a wonderful habit. It gets you up in the morning and gets you going. It may make you work out. Uh, maybe maybe self-discipline helps you to eat better. But here's the truth about self-discipline. Self-discipline will only get you so far in life. When I say intentional habits, I'm talking spiritual habits. That God can get involved and change things. Let me give you the second thing. That if you could learn to do this, this is an intentional habit. If you would learn to do this, this is where many, many people struggle. Learn to leave the past behind. I just said this a minute ago, man. The power of the gospel is not that it changes the past. It changes the future. But you can't go to your future till you leave the past behind. And most of the counseling we do, think about this. I, I, I want to say 100%, but that's, that's a dramatic. 90-some-odd percent of the counseling we do. And my counselors stay busy all day. And my pastors counsel people. I, in the hallway, walking up here, have people walking up to me. Pastor, I'll talk to you about this. Pastor, And it's, it's, it's usually things from the past that they're dealing with. I get it, man. Stuff. I, I had lots of dads growing up. I'm embarrassed about my past when I think about it. Sometimes I'm ashamed to talk about it. Sometimes I don't want to talk about it because I don't want my mom to think that I think she had a cruddy past. And if I let myself go there, here's, I told Chris this last night, your emotional state so frames the way you physically feel. I can feel my body go down when my mind does. Does this make sense? And so an intentional spiritual habit I have to cultivate is not living in the past. I've got to live tomorrow what God has for me, where God's. And some are like, but pastor, it was so bad, I can't let it go. It just holds on. I get that, man. I do get it. But you do have a choice in letting God renew your mind. I didn't say you do it. I said, let God do this. Let me give you a cool scripture from Philippians. Paul says this right here. Just, uh, it's just a, one little sentence. Forgetting the past. How, do, what, how does he deal with the past? It. His mind has to change. Forgetting the past, I look forward to the future and what lies ahead of me. God has a good future. Here's the power of a renewed mind. Remember this. Once you get a renewed mind, you begin to see God's will as good, pleasing, and perfect. You've got something to look. If you knew tomorrow was going to be good, pleasing and perfect, you'd be excited about tomorrow, wouldn't you? But if you believe tomorrow's going to be like yesterday, my God, no wonder we run away from life. Oh, it is a good, it's much better than last night. You got the gold message here. (laughs) I am considering right now showing this message next service because I don't think I can do any better. (laughs) Leave the past behind. Good or bad, here's the truth. The past was yesterday. The power of God doesn't change the past. It changes the future. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Here's the promise that God gives us. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a... No, come on. Is a a new person. The old is gone. The new has become... So here's what people say, but I don't feel new. That's why this has to get renewed. 
Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not true. The devil manipulates so many people through feelings and emotions. And this is why God wants to come in and say, listen, there's a higher way to live your life. Now, you can know that's true and be stuck down here, or you can be renewed and think up here. That's the power of a renewed mind. Third thing, I'm, I'm out of time. No, no. All right, so look, the first two I have a little fun with. Now, here's where you're going to be like, oh, Pastor, that was so good. And then you say this and you mess the whole thing up. And so, uh, here, here's, here's the, the, the ugly, brutal truth um, you really can't help yourself. So, everything I just said, no matter how good it is, isn't going to do you any good if you go home and try and do it yourself. You can't look, hey, look at me. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. This is not self-help. I like myself. I like myself. I like myself. I like myself. This is not that. <laughs> Dude, I'm funny. You mean I am funny, man. You don't know how funny I am. You, this is not psychological, blah, blah, blah. Feel good, feel good. This is, I'm telling you the truth right now. No matter how much you want to do this, you are incapable of doing this. You need God to do this for you. This is where we stand as believers. We're not here saying, okay, I'm going to go home and be good. Pastor, you got me. I'm going to go try this. All you'll get is failure. That's, this is why self-discipline is a wonderful... Let me tell you about self-discipline. Four months ago, I was the most self-disciplined person in the world. I got out of the hospital. I told myself, I will never eat another piece of fat in my life. I will exercise every day. I will only eat salad. I will only drink water. I will never. Friday night. I'm at No-No's Cafe. And I'm a Cajun. And man, here's, I had a shrimp po' boy. I had buttermilk pie. Jesus would eat buttermilk pie if he was here, man. That bracelet, what would Jesus do? Buttermilk pie is what he would do if he was here. And I know that stuff is so bad. Oh, my goodness. I, I, and I'm like, John, what is wrong with you? I'm a human. And so here's how I reasoned it in my mind. I'll run an extra five miles. Self-discipline is a wonderful thing, but look at me. Self-discipline won't get you to heaven. Self-discipline, it'll only get you so far. I'm not making fun of self-discipline. It's a good thing. But people substitute self-discipline for salvation. I won't do this or I will do that, and then God will be happy with me. And I'm telling you just the opposite. Listen to me. You need a renewed mind, but you can't do anything about it. God has to change you. What's your responsibility? God, here I am. I present myself to you. Romans 12, 2 says, let God change your mind. The next verse down says, present yourselves as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Present yourself to God so that he can change your mind. Your job every day, every time you struggle, is to say, God, here I am, help me. God, change me. God, wash over my mind. God, renew my mind right now. Your job is to take this truth right here and not just go, oh, that's good, I want to do that. Your job is, to, God, you have to work this in me. We are incapable of our own salvation. 
You were the day that you came to Jesus. You were every day since then, and you will be the day that you go to meet Jesus. Amen. You need a Savior. Amen. You need a Savior. The good news is, man, you really can't help yourself. Jeremiah, this is 3,000 years old. Can a leopard take away his spots? Can he change his spots? And then this sentence never gets quoted from the scripture. Neither can you start doing good when you've always had a propensity to do wrong. He's just calling it the way that it is. You have a fallen nature. Some of it, you're just simply, you're born that way, and that's why you need a savior, man. This isn't go home and be good. This is go home and need God. I need God. The good news is God wants to help you. And he has promises for you. He wants to renew your mind and he wants to strengthen you. My conclusion simply is this. One way or another, if you live long enough, life is about surrender. You're either going to surrender to God or you're going to surrender to this life. There's no neutral ground in this. You'll live one way or the other. You live as a copy of this world or you'll live with God renewing your mind. Which one do you think is going to make you happy? The truth is you can... Leave this room and do whatever you want to do. God's still going to love you, and I'm still going to pastor you. Do whatever you want to do. I'm telling you the truth right now. God is not the barrier to your happiness. God is the one who wants to make you happy. God's not trying to keep you from something. Even, gosh, I just want to... The Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. People look at that like God's trying to control us. How many times have you been hurt or your life's ended up in a bad place because of a lie? God's trying to protect you. Uh, Don't covet. Whenever we look at someone else's personality or giftings and we compare ourselves to that person, tell me what immediately happens. Your happiness is sucked out of you because you never measure up to their... God doesn't do those things to keep us. He does it to protect us. He's not the barrier to happiness. He's the doorway to it. Lord, um, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly um, how to cement this or plant this or get this into the lives of your uh, people right now. I do know that the truth of the matter is the simplicity of presenting ourselves to God and saying to you, God, we find ourselves incapable of our own salvation. And so we turn to you, God, and we ask you, save us, help us, change us, fill us, pour over us, wash over us, cleanse us, forgive us, have mercy on us, be gracious to us, All those things are so necessary. Uh, Church, what I asked Jay to do today was just to prepare a song right now because I, um, the idea of presenting ourselves to God, I don't want that to be a a concept that you agree with but don't practice. I want to give you an opportunity to practice it. So um, we're just going to sing this very simple song, and I, I don't want you to stand up. And I don't want you to get fixated on the words. Here's what I really want you to do. I'd like it if you feel like you could. I'd like you to just close your eyes. And as as the words 
come from out of your heart. Let it just be your prayer to God of just, God, here I am, and I present myself to you, and God, I've heard something today that I recognize I need more of in my life, and I want you to do this, so God, I'm just, I'm just going to present myself to you and ask you, do this in me. Work this in me. And, and as we just sing this right now, we'll just, we'll just do this song. Um, just let this be your prayer from, from deep in your heart, from, from way in your soul. Cry out to God and just, God, here I am, I present myself to you. Maybe see that thing or that area or that issue or the past, the future, the life event, the fixed thing that you deal with the thing that you want to get established in your life. Maybe God help me with this right here. I need your help. And when we're done with that, we'll dismiss you. Just let this be a time where you present yourself to God. Everything my 
Sweet. 